Thank you, Kent. Thank you, church. It is great to see you today. What a blessing it is to be with you all. You will see on the screen that it says January 21st, 2024. I know that it is January 28th, 2024. However, last week I forgot George was preaching. So uh, I prepared. I'm, I'm two weeks prepared for this one. So y'all get ready and buckle up. But uh, no, I am thankful for George. I'm thankful for our elders. I'm thankful for the message that he delivered to us, the challenge that they put before us this year. But today, I am going to pick up in the theme of what I've been talking about this year, and that is God. I know that every lesson that we give, God has to be the base. It all has to be in spirit and in truth. But today, I want to get you to think about something that maybe is hard for you to do. I want you to think about you don't really know who God is. And, and the reason I say that is because when Paul encountered right there in the middle of the Areopagus, which is Mars Hill, as we have come to know, he saw all these gods that Kent just read to us. That he saw, I'm sure it was God of this and God of that and God of this and God of that, but one caught his attention and that was the one that they said, just in case, right? They, they, they knew something was out there. The, the people of Ariagopas, they knew that something was out there. However, they didn't exactly know what it was. And so that being said, they, the people there, made an altar of worship with the inscription to the unknown God. And what Paul did is preach God to them. They didn't know God. They had not understood God the way Paul knew God. The way Paul knew God through Jesus Christ. And so today, my goal is to allow you to imagine yourself in their shoes. Not really appreciating and knowing God. Now, I'm thankful that you do. But today's lesson is going to be a lesson that we can use for ourselves, we can use for our faith, but we can also use to help somebody else understand who God is. And see, to them, God may be that unknown God. He may be someone that they do not know, they do not worship, they do not serve. But we have the responsibility as Christians to do as Paul did, to preach God to them, to teach God to them. And so I want to pick up where you just were in Acts chapter 17. I'm going to read it again, the same passage that Kent just read to us. Because I want you to see now, understand what was going on in their lives, the people of Athens. Then Paul, in verse 22, stood in the midst of the Areopagus and said, Men of Athens, I perceive that in all things you are very religious. See, we're going to encounter people in our lives they're very religious people. They just don't truly understand God. For as I was passing through and considering the objects of your worship, I even found an altar with the inscription to the unknown God. Therefore, the one whom you worship without knowing Him, I proclaim to you. God who made the world and everything in it, since He is Lord of heaven and earth, 
does not dwell in temples made with hands, nor is he worshipped with men's hands as though he needed anything, since he gives to all life, breath, and all things. And he has made from one blood every nation of men to dwell on all the face of the earth and has determined their pre-appointed times and the boundaries of their dwellings so that they should seek the Lord in the hope that they might grope for Him and find Him, though He is not far from each one of us. For in Him we live and move and have our being, as also some of your own poets have said, for we are also His offspring. Therefore, since we are the offspring of God, we ought not to think that the divine nature is like gold or silver or stone, something shaped by art and man's devising, in other words, like these other gods that you've made, This unknown God is different. Verse 30, Truly, these times of ignorance God overlooked, but now commands all men everywhere to repent, because He has appointed a day on earth, a day on which He will judge the world in righteousness by the man whom He has ordained. He has given assurance of this to all, By raising Him from the dead. Paul preached the truth. He saw what they were going through. And I would imagine that he was shocked, hurt, frustrated, and maybe even a little confused. How can these folks be worshiping these images made out of silver and gold and stone and not know the true God? But see, it reminds us that God has instilled in everyone a sense to worship. He has written it on our DNA. He formed us in our mother's womb with a desire to have something Lord over us. And in this case, the one that they, or the ones that they had lording over them was not the true God. And so Paul said, therefore the one whom you worship without knowing him I proclaim to you. It is my goal today for I to proclaim him to you. Turn in your Bibles to Psalm 19, please. Psalm 19 beginning in verse 1. The heavens declare the glory of God, and the firmament shows His handiwork. Day unto day utter speech, and night unto night reveals knowledge. There is no speech nor language where their voice is not heard. Their line has gone out through all the earth, And their words to the end of the world. In them he has set a tabernacle for the sun, which is like a bridegroom coming out of his chamber, and rejoices like a strong man to run its race. Its rising 
is from one end of heaven and its circuit to the other end. And there is nothing hidden from its heat. The law of the Lord is perfect, converting the soul. The testimony of the Lord is sure, making wise the simple. The statutes of the Lord are right, rejoicing the heart. The commandment of the Lord is pure, enlightening the eyes. The fear of the Lord is clean, enduring forever. The judgments of the Lord are true and righteous altogether. More to be desired are they than gold, yea, than much fine gold. Sweeter also than honey and the honeycomb. Moreover, by them your servant is warned, and in keeping them there is great reward. Who can understand his errors? Cleanse me from secret faults. Keep back your servant also from presumptuous sins. Let them not have dominion over me. Then I shall be blameless, and I shall be innocent of great transgression. Let the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be acceptable in your sight, O Lord, my strength and my Redeemer. When David, who spent a lot of time in fields, shepherding flocks, he would watch sheep graze, he would watch sheep get lost, he would defend them from lions and bears. But he would, he would see God. That's why in Psalm 46 verse 10, I'm confident that he said, Through God, be still and know that I, that is He, am God. There are times in our lives when we get so wrapped up in all the things around us. It may not be false gods that we serve with silver and gold and stone, but it may be work and it may be uh, hobbies and it may be life and it may be children and it may be family and it may be all these things. Sometimes we forget to really understand who that unknown God is. But David looked up in those fields and he saw how beautiful God's creation was. He couldn't help but sing the words of Psalm 19. Down through the years, men have wanted to know what kind of being God is. They want to know how God looks. They want to know how God feels towards man. The good news is that through the Bible, we can know. So who is God? God is our everything. I'm going to help you understand who that unknown God is today. I'm going to proclaim Him to you, just like I believe Paul did to the men of Athens. So what I want you to understand about God to begin with is I want you to understand about His personality. God is a spirit. Although God is very real, He is not visible to us. If God is real, He must have a form. So what is that form? That form is a spirit. We will never see the form of God until we get to heaven. There have been those who wanted to see God. Now, God has revealed Himself in a lot of different forms. You remember the Israelites He helped lead by fire 
and by a cloud. They could look upon that cloud in the daytime and follow it and be led. They could look upon that fire in the evening time and be led. But they couldn't see God in His true form. Moses, who was a very great friend of God, wanted to see God. He he longed to see Him, but God said, you can't see me, Moses. But see, because God is so holy, God is so spiritual, God is so God that if we were to look upon Him in this body, we would die. So, Moses, I can't let you see me, but I will, I will pass over you. But what did He do? He put Him in the cleft of the rock. You see, you and I can't see God with our eyes, but we can still see God all around us. God is a spirit, and what God did is put that spirit in us. God also is power. Two weeks ago, I preached a lesson about God's power. This morning in Bible class, uh, and I'll talk about some other things we talked about in Bible class, we talked about God is all-powerful. You see, God knows, God feels, God loves, God hears prayers, God speaks, and God acts. God is free. He is bound by no limitations. God can do as He wills freely because He is God. God's power is unhampered and unlimited. You see, when you talk about God being sovereign, that means He is over it. He is the reign. He is the authority. How much authority does He have? He has it all. There is no limits to God's authority or to God's power. God is highest. He is above all and mightiest over all. God is the author of the universe. He is the author of the order that is out there in matter, life, and mind. Look at God's creation, right? How can we say... How can one say there is no God? I mean, you can't look at a child, the process of a child being born, how a child is formed in that mother's womb, how it becomes a child in that mother's womb. And then God takes that child that has formed in that womb and He develops it, He forms it, He knits it together And then that child comes into this world being raised in the mother's womb with exactly what that child needs. That child is born and that child shows us God. Or maybe you have been out and uh, or been up and seen a sunrise and knowing that that sun is not really rising, right? It is the earth that is spinning and rotating And all of that is on an axis, and that axis is tilted, and that axis tilt is just tilted enough that it's close enough and far away enough from the sun that is 93 million miles away from here that we will not burn up or freeze to death. It is in the exact location it is supposed to be. You see, God, who is all-powerful, spoke that into existence. It didn't happen by accident. 
It was all planned, and it was all under his authority and his power. God has a personality. He is spirit. That is who he is. God is power. God is holy. There are many instances in the Bible that show us God's holiness. The one I like to use is found in Isaiah chapter 6, verses 1 through 5. Isaiah 6, 1 through 5. In the year that King Uzziah died, I, Isaiah, saw the Lord sitting on a throne, high and lifted up. And the train of His robe filled the temple. Above it stood seraphim. Each one had six wings. With two of the wings, he covered his face. With two, he covered his feet. And with two, he flew. And one cried to another. And I would suggest day in and day out. Cried to another and said, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God of hosts. The whole earth is full of His glory. And the posts of the door were shaken by the voice of Him who cried out, and the house was filled with smoke. Isaiah sees this scene and realizes how holy God really is. And so he cries out, Woe is me, for I am undone, because I am a man of unclean lips, and I dwell in the midst of a people of unclean lips. For my eyes have seen the King, the Lord of hosts. How holy is God? He is so holy that there are seraphim. Toby talked about angels a few weeks ago in a, in a teaser class, so to speak, that he and I, I, I'm assuming, will do sometime in the near future together. But there are ranks of those type of angels, which are created beings, and around God are the seraphim. Those seraphim, and you have to see the, the, the creature, I, I don't know beyond this, has two wings uh, covering face, Two wings feet and two wings flying, right? And they are day in and day out chanting, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. His glory fills the whole earth. Holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. His glory fills the whole earth. Holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. His glory fills the whole earth. And they say it day in and day out, hour by hour, minute by minute. Why? Because God is that holy. The angels who surround the throne recognize the holiness of God. Isaiah recognized the holiness of God. No matter how good he may have felt about himself, to get ready to answer the call to be a prophet of our God, he said, I am unclean. I am nowhere near holy as God is holy. Holy, holy, holy. In the Hebrew language, three times in a row meant it was the superlative. In other words, there is nothing holier than God. That unknown God, Him I proclaim to you. What else is God 
God is, right? That's the title of the sermon. God is. We talked about this this morning. He is omnipotent. What does that mean? He is all-powerful. He is all-powerful. God was around before the heavens and the earth and will be here when the earth has been consumed by fire. God is eternal. Jesus said Himself, with man, these things are impossible, but with God, all things are possible. Those who subject themselves, that's you and me, right? If we subject ourselves to the will of God, you know what will happen? We'll be full of joy. We'll be full of salvation. We'll be full of freedom. We'll be full of heaven. Right? Hear hear me out now. God is omnipotent. Okay? That means He is powerful. He is almighty. He is all powerful. He is all might. He is all sovereign. Okay? He is all these things. Right? So listen, if I am subject to Him, I'm going to be full of salvation. I'm going to be full of joy. I'm going to be full of all these things I just talked about. But guess what? If I am not subject to Him, I still will be subject to Him. Even if I do not subject myself to Him and give myself to Him, I will still stand subject to Him. That's why Paul said there's coming a time when every knee will bow. You give me the worst of the worst. I don't know who that is. But you give me the atheist of the atheist. And they're going to bow down and acknowledge God as God. You give me the sorriest human being who's ever walked, that's done the most horrible things, and, and claims that they're doing it for Satan. They will bow down and acknowledge the power of God. I believe Satan himself is going to bow down and acknowledge who God is. But you see, on that day, the day of subject... The day of judgment, it will be too late. That's why we've got to recognize His power now. And we've got to be subject to Him now. God is. He's omnipotent. He's also omniscient. That means He's all-knowing. God knows everything about you. He knows everything about me. He knows everything about the stars. He knows everything about the planets. He knows everything about every human being who's ever walked the face of this earth or ever will walk the face of this earth. There is no way God doesn't know His creation. Now that could scare us to death this morning. It really could. You know, I can kid a kid and I can fool a fool but I cannot trick God. I cannot get away from God. Now, on one hand, as I said in class this morning, that can be very scary, right? If, if I've got a lot of hidden things in my life that I'm not proud of, that I'm not happy about, I, you know, again, Paul's saying, here's this unknown God. I'm saying to you, here He is. Here's the God. Here's God that we serve today, who is right here in the midst of us today, that we are praising today, that we are worshiping today, that He is the audience today. This God, He knows everything. And on one hand, if I've got a lot of hidden things, that can be scary. But on the other hand, how comforting is that? God knows what you're going through right now. He knows what your bank account looks like right now. He knows what your struggles are right now. He knows what your health is right now. He knows the number of your hair 
hairs on your head right now. He knows everything. He knows your struggles. He knows your praises. He knows your shortcomings. He knows the, the way you serve Him. Because He's omniscient. It also reminds us, we also learn or know that God is omnipresent. Again, talked about this in class this morning. If you weren't there, you can go back and listen to it in more detail. I don't have time, by the way. I, I told you to buckle up. I had two weeks to prepare for this one. So we aren't done. We aren't near done. So keep, let's get a mint or something, you know. Get something in your belly if you're hungry. But here we go. God is omnipresent. What does that mean? That means He's everywhere. God is everywhere. When is He everywhere? At all times. God is always there. And He will always be there. Where was God in Luke 15? If God is the Father in the story, and we are the Son who rebels in the story of the prodigal Son, when that Son was wasting away all the blessings that He had been given, all the things that he had inherited, when he was wasting it away, when, when we have wasted everything God has given us, all of our talents, all of our abilities, and we're just sitting there wasting it away, where is God? He's standing on the porch longing for us to get right. He's still there. He didn't leave him. He was still there longing for him to come home. You see, God is all-powerful. God is all-knowing. And God is everywhere. He's always present. What else is God? There's so many things that God is. God is great. God is great in creative power. I mean, look around us, right? We've talked about that. Nature, where the earth is, the way the universe is. Look how complex the human body is. But God took dirt, everything that's so complex about us, right? The bones, the organs, the heartbeat, the electricity that our heart produces to keep our bodies running all these things, the eyeball, everything that is so amazing and complex about us, God took dirt and made it. That's how great He is. He's great in creative power. He's great in redemptive power. Man was made to be sinless, but then we sank down into sin. But yet God, in His mighty redemptive power, saves us from our sins. The only thing that can save mankind, the only thing that can save mankind is God. There's nothing else. God is great in creative power. He's great in redemptive power. And He's great in keeping His power. When God saves a person, and He does that through the blood of Jesus Christ, there is no power strong enough to tear that person out of the Father's hand. Think about that. 
As long as today. Today if today is the day you want to know the unknown God. He's been unknown to you, but you want to know Him and you feel like you know Him. And today you walk the aisle and want to submit yourself, subject yourself, give yourself to Him. By, and you're immersed in water and God then contacts you with the life-saving blood of Jesus Christ. And you come up out of that water. You put your old self to death, but now you're walking in newness of life, knowing God, following Him, serving Him. You've took, taken hold of His hand. You know, think about that. A child walking with their father's hand, their mother's hand in a busy place. You think somebody's going to come and, and snatch that child out of your arms? No. Or are you going to be able to be snatched out of God's? No way. No way. Now we can let go. We can let go. But nobody can snatch us from His hands. That's how great He is. What else is God? God is loving. God's love is shown in so many ways, but I guess the greatest display of that, right, is shown in the gift of His Son to die for us. Jesus said it Himself, didn't He? Sacrifice is the greatest show of love. Greater love has no man than this than to lay down His life for His friends. God showed His love. Isn't that what it says? It's manifested, right? Scarcely for a rich man one would die, yet for a good man someone would even dare to die. But God demonstrates His own love toward us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. There's so many things we could say that God is. Time will not permit to keep going through that, but, but what does He do with all of these things that He is? Again, we're talking about now, we're proclaiming the unknown God. We're proclaiming like there are people that do not know Him. All these things that God is, all these things that God will do, that He can be, that He he has the power to do, He has the ability to do, what does He do with them? Number one, He governs the affairs of the world. At times it seems that the world is nearing disaster, right? I mean, that could be... You will not believe how many times... People walk up to me, usually in the in the gym where my gym little ministry or whatever goes, and they'll say, "Hey, yeah, he's coming back." And if you, a guy literally told me, "I know when he's coming back." I said, "I bet you don't." I mean, I mean, I didn't say it that way, but he said, "Hey, I know when he's coming back. This guy's a minister." I, I said, "But he's coming like a thief in the night." You know, and he stumbled a little bit. I mean, he, it's like October, by the way, if you want to know. So, guys, guess get ready if he's right, right? But at the end of the day, we don't know. But it looks like at times the world is about to cave in. That's why people are asking, because it's so bad, right? There's so many evil things that surely God can't take this anymore. But when it is nearing disaster, guess where God is? Still on His throne. He's still reigning over this universe. Oh, Satan, yes, the Bible says, and we say that Satan is the prince of this world, and he is, but do not kid yourself. God is supreme over it all. God is in control. What else does God do? God, with these abilities, these attributes, he punishes sin and rewards righteousness. Men cannot just do as they please and get away with it. You just can't do what you want to do. If you're here today and you think, hey, I can serve God part-time, you can't. I mean, you can. It's your choice, but you can't and, and be okay. I'm just 
be, I'm telling you the unknown God, all right? I'm proclaiming Him to you. you. You and I can't do just what we want to do and serve God when it's convenient. Because He's going to punish sin. But He's also going to reward righteousness. We're going to be blessed. We're going to be loved. We're going to be forgiven. And we're promised a home. If we will surrender our lives to Him. But what else does God do with these attributes? He's going to be a just judge. Jesus literally, according to the Scripture, will judge all Christians according to their their works and reward them. At the great white throne, Jesus shall judge all unbelievers and punish them according to their works. But here's the beautiful thing about it. Jesus, by the authority of God, has been given the task to judge the world. We will all stand at the judgment seat of Christ. Think about that. There's coming a day when we will all stand at the judgment seat of Christ. At the judgment seat of Christ, we won't be alone because the whole world will be there. But at the judgment seat of Christ, we will be alone. As much as I'd like to defend people that I love, and I would want people to defend me, when I stand before Jesus Christ, it's Him and me. But you know the beautiful thing? That shouldn't scare you. Now, it should scare us if we're not right with God. But it shouldn't scare us if we are. Because Jesus is a just judge. He is a perfect judge. He is also our mediator. He is also our propitiation. He also goes to bat for us. He puts in a good word for us. And He, if we are washed in His blood, we will not be seen. Only He will be seen. Because His blood washes it all away. God will also reward the faithful and punish the sinful. Again, very simply, the Christian's reward is heaven. The lost person's punishment is hell. God will live forever with His children. What a wonderful thing to look forward to, right? What a wonderful thing to think about. God wants to live with me. There are times when I feel like Paul. I'm the chief of all sinners. I'd love to sit here and tell you that there, every day of my life I feel like, man, I'm a good person. Man, I'm doing things the right way. But, but there are days of my life when I struggle more than others. There are days in my life when I feel further, farther away from God than others. There are days in my life when I feel like, man, I can't do anything right to please God. But then at the end of it, I'm reminded that His grace does reach me. 
I'm reminded that His blood will continuously cleanse my sins if I stay in the light. I'm also reminded that the God of the universe, the God of all power, the God that can't be looked upon because He is so holy, He wants to live with me forever. Paul, in Athens, was floored because of all the gods that were there. But it's one of those moments, Taylor talked about that song hitting you, those lyrics hitting you. I feel like it's one of those moments that hit Paul. He's like, you got all these gods and you got this one that you don't know. You see, the one that you don't know, let me tell you about him. He's a spirit. He's holy. He's loving. He's great. He's all-powerful. He's all-present. He's all-knowing. He's going to take these attributes and he's going, to, he's going to look over the affairs of the world. He's going to govern the world. He's going to judge the world. He's going to reward the righteous. He's going to punish the sin. He's going to punish the unfaithful, reward the faithful. All these things God will do. He's no longer unknown. Romans, Paul said, his invisible attributes are clearly seen. There's no excuse for us to not know God. But here's the thing. There were times in my life when I knew math, but I didn't know math. When I knew history, but I really didn't know history. I knew science, but I didn't really know science. Well, what do you mean, Terry? Oh, I got ready for the test. I crammed for the test. I memorized what I needed to memorize for the test, but I didn't know it. I didn't learn it. Today, we can cram for God. We can cram in some worship. We can cram in some prayers. We can cram in some occasional Bible study, we can cram in and, and check it off, check it off, check it off, check it off. And guess what? He will still be the unknown God. If you know God, if you can behold your God, why will you not submit to Him? If you know who God is, you know what God does, you know how much He loves, you know how much He punishes, you know how all these things we talked about today, you know all these things, why would you not be obedient to Him? You've got to answer the question. The invitation is open to all. Won't you come? It's together. We stand and sing.